0: The game. <laughs> All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck sticks? What the fucksters? This is Mark Maron. This is WTF. This is my show. It's my podcast, folks. Big stuff today. Primary guest: Drew Friedman cartoonist, artist, life changer for me. Uh first guest, we got a short interview today with somebody most of you know. He's in a band. But before I I, I talk about that specifically, I, I I do have to admit that I, I've gotten perhaps a little arrogant or, or, or maybe insensitive. Or maybe maybe I'm just sticking by my guns. I'm not sure, but I'll, I'll try to explain to you. I'll, I'll explain the story to you. So I got an opportunity to interview somebody. This is a big guest. Okay. It's a big guest. And the opportunity was, look, uh, you know, you can have him for 10 minutes and uh, it's got to be pretty specific. And, um, you know, he doesn't really like getting personal uh and uh you know it's 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 a big thing he 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 wants to do the podcast. Now I, I guess I should tell you this this guest is Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger. they have a nice 10 minute chat about the new tour 15 city tour that uh, they just announced the Rolling Stones, the Rolling Stones are doing a tour. They're also re-releasing. Sticky Fingers, on May 26th. This is what's going on for the Rolling Stones. So someone thought that, that it would be great to have them on the show, and and then I talked to their main publicist, and and she thought it would be great to have her show, and then I'm like, well look, you know, I, I said this, and I got a cop to it, I got to own it, because it's fucking ridiculous. So I'm like, well, you know, I usually do an hour interview, and you know, that's sort of the format of the show. It's like an hour interview. Uh, and uh, this woman Fran was like, "I know what you do, and and we love what you do, and and Mick, listen to what you do, but that's not what we're doing." And I'm like, "Yeah, I know, and you know, and I'd re- I'd love to talk to Keith for an hour if Mick can't do it. Keith would be great for an hour." She's like, "I appreciate that, and I'm not ruling out that possibility in the future, but that's not happening now. What we thought is we'd have, you know, maybe Mick and." Uh, you know, Keith and and maybe Ronnie, uh, you know, uh, on your show for ten minutes, leading up to the tour. I'm like, well, you know, it's not what the show is. So let me talk to my producer and partner, uh, business partner Brendan McDonald, and let me get back to you on this because yeah, I'd really like to do an hour if that's possible. And I was like, oh, well, where are they exactly? And she's like, I don't know where they're gonna be, and you know, it, we'll you know we'll see what happens wh- where they're gonna be. And I'm like, all right, because I could come to them and they're like, well, no, this we're not we're not really doing that. But it's not what we're doing. I'm like, all right. Well, you know what? It's not what I do. So let me just check with my with my producer. So I call up Brendan, and rightfully so, he uh, he says, "What the fuck is wrong with you? Mick Jagger wants to talk to you on the phone. Who cares? What about her for how long? I mean, it's Mick Jagger. You you talk about the Stones constantly. Really, if you look at the arc of the 550 or 80 or whatever episodes." they come up i got a poster of mick jagger i got the gimme shelter poster right here my first guitar was a telecaster once i i got enough money to buy a guitar because keith played a telecaster i used to stick my cigarette in in the top of the guitar like keith you know i like i used to sing along with mick i knew you know i can do the mick finger shake I listened to the Rolling Stones for the first time on a school bus when I was in eighth grade. My buddy Eric Tittman brought a panasonic tape recorder, and his dad had Exile on Main Street, and he held that tape recorder up to that speaker, and he recorded several of the songs from Exile on Main Street, one of them being Sweet Virginia, there being a skip at a certain point in that song, and I awaited that skip every time I heard that song for at least two decades. It's past now because I no longer remember where the skip was. Midnight Rambler changed my life. It's the Rolling Stones, all right? So Brendan's like, shut the fuck up, man. D- just talk to Mick Jagger. Who cares what how long it goes on? What, what do you, What's wrong? Talk to Mick Jagger. And I'm like, holy fuck. You're right, dude. What am I thinking? Jesus. So Mick Jagger's going to call me, and I wanted to, <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't believe it. And now, now once I had said, like, yeah, and it got all set up. You know, I was, like, excited. I was like, okay, I can't believe I'm going to talk to Mick Jagger. And I, it got me emotional because it's an important person in my life, Mick Jagger. The Rolling Stones, Keith Richards, Charlie Watt, Bill Wyman, Ronnie Wood. They, they're they important to me. So now I'm nervous and I'm excited and I'm freaking out. And I'm like, who? I want to share this experience with somebody, you know. So I was like, Dean Del Rey's the dude. Dean Del Rey, you know, he worked for them kind of. He, I, he should be here to you know with me and he should like if he wants to he should put some headphones on and enjoy this experience with me texted him my like, dude I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to jagger for like 10 minutes do you want to be part of this um and he's like hold on maybe <laughs> hold on let me see if i can look at that at that text exchange <laughs> you want to come over and listen on the cans during the call he goes, hell yeah, when? And I go, between 12.15 and 12.45, come over at noon. He goes, fuck yes, I am there, man. Kick ass, thank you. And then he came over. So, you'll hear it unfold momentarily. Uh, me and Dean Del Rey leading up to the Mick Jagger call, then a conversation with me and Mick Jagger, and then me and Dean Del Rey trying to keep our shit together post Mick Jagger call. All right, so now uh, let's go to me and Dean waiting for Mick Jagger to call the garage. I'm nervous, dude.
1: I'm going to talk to Mick Jagger. It's insane, man. It doesn't. It doesn't get any bigger than that. But I, mean, no, for for, I only got like ten minutes. Yeah, but you know, I know that's weird because you're like, what do I ask? What do I ask? You got a. Uh- we well,
0: want to connect with him. You don't want to just be like, he, like I don't know if he's sitting there with a like with a bunch of like he's going back to back doing a phoner junket. Yeah, I don't fucking know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, like I don't know if I'm the only call-, call on the docket, or if he's like, you know, who am I talking to now? <laughs> yeah, who's this again? Yeah,
1: all right, let Wait, it rip. Oh, this is the fellow in his garage. <laughs> in his garage. <laughs> it, I mean, all those years you love the Stones, you have a million things you want to ask him. Kinda,
0: but like, I'm, I'm more astounded that I'm going to talk to him. Yeah. Like, I do. Like, I don't even know. What do you really ask him? You just want to say, like, what's up? Yeah, yeah. How, how about Altamont? Yeah, <laughs> there's part of me that wants to ask him that. What's yeah. your
1: favorite Stones record? Oh, it's good.
0: Right. I think like, you know, more so than not, I go like Beggar's Banquet. I go back to a lot. Right. I mean, you know, and I like um, I've been listening to the real old stuff lately. Oh,
1: yeah. I, I'm not down with that stuff. That Brian Jones era. Yeah, stuff, yeah. Yeah. All
0: that shit. Like, it's really some of it's great. Yeah. Like some of it's like straight up blues stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And it's a real clean sound. And I'll play some of that for you when we go back, like out of our heads. And uh, Dece- what is it? December's Children. What days the tour start, dude? Oh, I forget. Man, I'm not ready, man. I'm not ready. <laughs> May 24th, San Diego. There you go. I can't, I like. I mean, he's calling the garage. You got to think when you started this podcast. Mick Jagger, yeah. calling the garage. <laughs>
1: calling the garage, dude. When you started the podcast, you didn't think that Jagger was going to call the garage, right? No. <laughs> At all.
0: No. Why would I think that?
1: <laughs> you know, you're just doing something yeah.
0: that you want to do. I feel like I'm waiting for a chick to call. I keep checking to make sure the phone's on the receiver, like old timey. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Is the phone working? Should I double check it? See if there's a dial tone? <laughs> this is nuts. We're just sitting around waiting for fucking Mick Jagger to call. You know, and I don't. You know, people are like Mick Jagger. So what? Fuck you. Oh no! Whoever says that is I out of their mind. I don't know if anyone's ever said it, but you know, you sometimes you think like Are the Stones? Does anyone care about the Stones? Who cares if anyone cares? He's fucking Mick Jagger. Yeah. Yeah, No one, there's only like
1: five guys that have done what he has done, you know, still playing music, does, he's doing football fields, man, and baseball parks. The greatest rock and
0: roll band in the world.
1: uh, Like, not one, two, not five songs, you know, a hundred songs that are played on radio every day. Now
0: I'm starting to think like, give him the wrong fucking phone number. Oh,
1: that's the worst. Right.
0: Well, I guess so. Whatever, man. You know, it's why if it doesn't happen to me, I hear you. What am I going to do? So uh, now we're we're in a deficit. We're in a ten, we're, we're in overtime.
1: It's going to happen.
0: Now it's just going to be sad. It's going to be me and you, like slowly getting disappointed, <laughs> minute by minute. I guess not happen. Then we'll go back in. Like, let's go listen to Sticky Fingers.
1: Yeah, that's uh, like a sad, sad got... day on York Street. <laughs> that's our record. Oh no. What? Yeah.
0: My other phone. <laughs>
1: Unbelievable. Hello.
0: Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Good. How's it going? Oh, really? Um. Another promo call. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, when are you thinking? Well, you just want me to sit here, or do you want to give me a little a window again? Well, I mean, it's just well, look, I'm I'm around. I'm just saying that, like, you know, I've been sitting here, uh, just waiting for a half hour looking at my phone. So if you're telling me I should keep doing that for an, another uh, hour, uh, I can. But if you can tell me like, maybe like another half hour window, like if you want to try, if you think he can do it between 115 and 145, what do you think of that? Okay, so that's 130 and two here. Okay, deal. Let me know if there's a problem. I'll come back out here at uh, at 130 and we'll wait it out. Thank you. Right. Bye. Well, we know it's happening. I got nothing. Yeah, I he got cut. Did you hear me, though? Yeah. He's oh, caught yeah. up in another call, another <laughs> promo call. Dude, you, you are so married. It's
1: hilarious. You know what I mean? Oh, really? <laughs> I'm number 38? Yeah, okay. Well, I'm just out here in the garage. We'll gonna get in my phone. I could have a grilled cheese sandwich right now, but no, I'm out here. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. Okay. <laughs> it's so fucking funny, <laughs>
0: hello hello mick hey mark how are you sir
2: i'm good how are you
0: i'm thrilled to talk to you i'm going out of my mind i'm sitting here i'm like oh my god is it gonna happen and there you are
2: <laughs> i'm sorry i'm late i got the times wrong i'm i had a whole bunch of interviews and i started late i'm so sorry
0: oh no it's no problem we're just uh we're just hanging out here in the garage uh waiting for you to call (laughs) i'm
2: so sorry i got i real i just realized i got the times i i i started like half an hour late on everything um
0: no it's great it's great i'm thrilled to talk to you how you feeling
2: good i'm feeling good
0: where are you calling from
2: uh the west indies
0: oh really wow yeah. is it nice down there what do you, you hear by? me okay i can hear you great are you at the beach or something
2: uh not on the beach but i'm near the beach
0: oh that's sweet so i'm uh i'm i'm, I'm psyched to talk to you is this the first time you've been on a podcast or you never or have you before
2: i think i've been on podcast before uh, right. i'm very pleased to be on yours
0: <laughs> good so i you're re-releasing sticky fingers now, how, how much of, uh, did you spend any time with the record when they were remastering it or anything?
2: Oh, yeah, I remastered them. I was there for the remastering.
0: What was it like to listen to that stuff again like that?
2: It's great. I really like that album. It's go- a really good album.
0: Oh, it's a great album. But, I mean, do you, when you sit and listen to those songs, do you go back in your mind to, to where it was recorded? and what, Didn't you do that down at Muscle Shoals? Uh, bit, a bit of it.
2: Yeah. Like with three, track, three tracks in Muscle Shoals and the rest in London.
0: And uh, when you hear those songs, do they trigger stuff? Do you do you like do you get uh, emotional about them, or do you have some uh, distance from them?
2: Well, I mean, we uh, you know I sing them a lot, you know now, so it's not like I'm listening to them for, for the first time. Right. You know what I mean? It's like it, it, you know, so the as a song, it's like from, you know, it's now for me, it's not like I haven't heard it for like a hundred years. I mean, some songs you don't do, and when you listen to them, you think, wow, that's. That takes me back but you know when you played wild horses like a couple of months ago it's not quite the same
0: well when was the last time you played like uh, sister morphine or or moonlight uh, we, yeah
2: we played that on stage not for a long about 10 years ago i should think the last time we played that yeah that's a, that's haven't played that for a while
0: it'd be hard to, would you, you think it'd be hard to get your head back into that one
2: no I'd get into it i could get into that
0: <laughs> in in terms of uh the tour so uh, you guys are are, are going to be playing uh, just the classics. What, what's the plan?
2: I don't know yet. You know, we're in rehearsal. I've got you know. We'll make a bit of a mixture. We'll play like well-known songs. We'll play a cup We always try and find a song that we've never done before. A couple of songs we've never done. We might feature a few songs from Sticky Fingers, more unusual one, maybe like the one you mentioned, maybe a couple of others. Um, so it'll be a mixed bag, you know, it won't be just all like, hopefully it won't be just by the numbers, you know?
0: Sure, man. And do you, do you get excited? Like, do you have any ideas of some of the songs that you haven't played in years that you might want to play?
2: Well, uh... <laughs> i'm gonna see i'm gonna see in the rehearsals <laughs> i always go through a long list and then we try them and they say ah that's not gonna work or that that sounds like it's got possibilities and you know we might feature some of the less well-known songs from sticky fingers because i think you know that'd be good
0: that'd be amazing because uh, i heard a rumor that you guys are just going to play that whole album right through uh
2: well you you know the thing about it is that but that might work and it might not work so you know it's got quite a few slow songs on it yeah um um, but don't
0: you think people would be so like it, oh my god they're playing the entire record don't you think that
2: like people hell, like, maybe it'll work you know you've got to see <laughs> Yeah, maybe it's going to work good
0: so when you when you decide like if you have an older song that you guys are just uh, you know playing around with to see if you can play it what determines whether or not you can do it or not what makes you say like nah it's not going to work
2: you, you can just tell when you rehearse it oh, really? you know <laughs> right. if it's just yeah. you can just tell if it works you know if it doesn't work
0: right right just by the feel it, it, of it
2: yeah, just by the feel, and if it really rocks or, you know, it has some emotive thing to it, then you can really tell, and then, um, you know, you know when it's not working.
0: Right, and how are, how are you and Keith getting along? Pretty good.
2: I saw him the other day. He's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to speak to him on this podcast?
0: I, I, I think so. Wait, is Mick Taylor going to play with you guys again?
2: No, I don't think he's not, he's got, he's not um, going to play on this tour. No? It's just going to be, yeah, it's just going to be us. We, we had a r- great time with him. I really enjoyed it. And we did a load of gigs. We went all around the world. And, you know, we started off in London. It was going to be just one show in London. And, um, you know, went all around the world together. But this is like another beginning of another tour. So, you know,
0: so I, I don't think he's coming on this. So uh, do you have any special guests in mind that might play with you?
2: Yeah, we, we're gonna, I mean, we'll see about special guests. You know, we did a lot of special guests on our last American tour, and it was a lot of fun. And um so you know I think that kind of works or maybe you know we should do something different. I like doing guests, you know. Yeah. It, sometimes the guests, you know, come up with amazing things. Sometimes it's un, you know, it works out differently than you think, <laughs> but
0: it's <laughs> yeah. it's always fun. What what made you laugh? What 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 exactly were you thinking when you said that?
2: Well, I you know that sometimes the guests want to do different songs than you've imagined. And, you know, you always want to be kind and, you know, you always want to be, you know, they, they're giving of their time. So you want to go along with it. And sometimes that really works. And sometimes it doesn't, but, 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 uh, it's, it's I've had great experiences with it because like we had special guests from all kinds of types of music, you know, it wasn't just like rock music, uh-huh. special guests, you know, which, and all age groups and all kinds. You know, so we 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 had a really good time with that. And it, it, you never quite know what's going to happen. So I like I like the sort of unknown part of that.
0: Yeah. Do you ever miss Bill Wyman up there on stage when you're up uh, there?
2: Oh yeah, I miss his dancing. <laughs> but I I managed I managed to get. I see Bill quite often in London. He's a very sweet guy. And uh, but you know you know yeah. He, it was a long time. It's a long time ago that he that he left the band now. You know, it's years. I don't know how many years. It seems a long time.
0: Well, the last time I saw you live was in 1981 at Madison Square Garden.
2: Whoa, that's a long time. You must come... But more recent, more you know, come again.
0: Definitely, I want. I, I definitely want to come again. I, I it was such a, an amazing experience for me because I was, uh, you know, we'd gotten our tickets through a lottery, and I remember at the yeah. time. I don't know if you remember the, the. I think that that James Brown was supposed to open for you, but something happened, and Screaming Jay that was Hawkins in the garden. And yeah. then he, he canceled. Yeah, and Screaming Jay Hawkins opened.
2: That's right, but that's a pretty amazing
0: opening act. It was a trip, man. I mean, he he was up there. Totally mad. Yeah, he's up there with his voodoo stick all alone. It was crazy. Yeah, (laughs) really
2: crazy. (laughs) So you remember. You've got to come more than once every 30 years.
0: I I know, Mick. I'm I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to. I just. So you're going to come. So you're going to, you should
2: give me a call. You should book the tickets, come with your friends, and we'll make a special place for you. Really? And come and enjoy
0: yourself. I'm going to, I will definitely take you up on that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I would, it would, I, I would die. Like I, you know, I tell you, man, I, you know, I, I Are you I, in
2: Los Angeles?
0: I am. Yeah. And I love well, you, you guys. San Diego.
2: You come to San Diego.
0: I will. You just don't. It's like I've loved you guys all my life, and you know when I knew I was going to talk to you, I had no idea, you know what that was going to feel like for me. I'm sitting here. I've got a post. (laughs) I got a huge poster right here in the garage. I got a bunch of stuff on the wall, and there's a huge Uh uh, a poster for the reissue of the the Gimme Shelter movie with your face. So I see your face every day. And uh, and me and my buddy Dean Del Rey were just in the house uh, listening to Stones music. It's it's crazy, man. I I'm a I'm a huge fan.
2: So I look forward to I look forward to seeing you there.
0: Well, Mick, it was great. It was a real honor to talk to you. Nice to, to talk, you. talk to you. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Dude.
1: Dude. Oh man, that was fucking amazing, man. You were like your tears. Were... I I right know I had tears because it's like I. I... I get choked up because the guy is so nice and real and alive yeah you know what i mean he's so alive he's like hey mark how are you i got that i'm in the west indies and you're just like i wanted like, to keep my, him on the phone my fucking arm i was i was yeah. losing my mind and yeah. he was so nice man <laughs> and i worked for the band you know but you don't talk to the band like that's like a conversation he has with people you know what i mean yeah that you just think like god man what a great dude. Yeah. what? Uh, how great
0: was he? Great, dude. I can't believe it. Like, wh- did you see what happened, though? Right after- We were leaving! I know, right after the chick says to call in an hour. We're leaving! We're-, we're leaving the room. I
1: couldn't believe it! We almost missed that, dude. I kept that was thinking crazy, that. and I
0: started fangirling out at the end. He's trying to get off the phone. I'm like,
1: oh, just uh, yeah, but know. still, man. At least he knows he didn't just call. And he invited you and your friends, which I'm your friend to <laughs> <laughs> to San Diego, man. It
0: sounded like they were kind of planning on doing the whole whole I and know, thing. I know,
1: right? He's like, he's like, yeah. Maybe, I mean there's a lot of slow songs But I don't know why I'm trying to sound
0: like <laughs> you know, I Maybe I can make that show oh, Come
1: on dude, we gotta go oh. oh, how crazy was that?
0: I can't even believe it
1: <laughs> I can't either dude Because we were it's walking so... out I of know. the garage And it's like, boo, you're a little I landline I know And then he's like, ah, "Like no one told him I'll oh, call in an hour, you no. could tell He's
0: in the West Indies, no. no, they just thought he was
1: No one told him, that was insane And we would have missed that
0: yeah, that was... I wonder if he's on the phone right now. So I did not like, I didn't like him, Nah, No, nah,
1: he's not like that. He was he was like he was genuine uh like cool. Fun. He was laughing and stuff.
0: Okay, man. Well, thanks for hanging out.
1: It's so crazy. We had these headphones on. It was like he was right here. I know. I look over here. You're welling up. Dude. I know. I couldn't believe it cuz I was just like, <laughs> "Wow, man. What's happening? The guy is just a legend Mick to me Mick Jagger. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. You know what I mean. He's beautiful. Oh, beautiful. Man. All right, dude. God damn it. <laughs>
0: so that was insane was that insane Dean and I went into the house after that and just sat on the couch sort of numb and I played we played Can't You Hear Me Knocking off the original master recording of Sticky Fingers the album the vinyl louder than I've played anything on my stereo and then we played the non-live version of Midnight Rambler loud Louder than I played anything. And we sat there, two grown-ass men, slowly rocking our heads, and occasionally I would jump up and play a little air guitar or break into a a bit of air drumming with some singing. We both did some singing. And after it was done, it was just, you know, he looked at me and said, dude, you just talked to Mick Jagger. I'm like, God damn, it's fucking crazy. Drew Friedman. The master, master caricature artist, master cartoonist, master artist, Drew Friedman, who changed my life. I think the first time with his art, with in a book that he put together with his brother Josh Allen Friedman. It was called "Any Similarities to Persons Living or Dead Is Purely Coincidental." Drew did the art. I think Josh. I think they both did a little of the writing, but mostly Josh did the writing. And it, it was just—it's just a just type of satire. There was, there's something about the way he captures. show business personalities primarily with just the the slight there's a slight darkness to it there's a slight you know uh, it's not a rawness but there's something haunting about the way he caricatures people and then he did another book with his brother called warts and all which were also disturbing but beautiful and then there's the old jewish comedians from fantagraphics fantagraphics is a great a great press a great comic press uh, you, you should go check out Fantagraphics anyways at Fantagraphics.com. But let's get back to uh, to Drew Friedman. The old Jewish comedians are just pictures. They're just portraits of old Jewish comedians. And there's old Jewish comedians. And there's more old Jewish comedians. And there's even more old Jewish comedians. And these are spectacular books. It, it's It's sort of specific, but it's fucking amazing, man. It's fucking amazing the way he captures them. There's something about... There's something almost demonic and beautiful about the way he captures show business person. There's a vulnerability there, but there's a darkness there. It's hard for me to even explain. He did uh, The Fun Never Stops. He did uh, Too Soon, Famous and Infamous Faces, 1995 to 2010. He's probably just a part of that. The point being that Drew Friedman is a master at the caricature art and at cartooning. and And I just love him. Uh, and I've always loved his work. And he's got a new book out now called Heroes of the Comics. It's available from Fantagraphics. It's got a forward by Al Jaffe, another cartoonist who changed my fucking life. Al Jaffe, if any of you are old enough to to sort of grow up with Mad Magazine, Al Jaffe was the fucking best. Uh, you can also check out all his work. He does a lot of, uh, there's a lot of posters available at drewfriedman.net. He's done amazing portraits of... Uh, you know, John Lennon, Frank Zappra, uh, Frank Sinatra, uh, uh, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf. I mean, they're just, for some reason, his sensibility and his subject matter just completely locks up with my, my sensibility. And the most glorious thing that happened was he did a portrait of me. And I haven't used it with anything yet, and I'm about to get it framed. And it's just, it's one of the, it's, it's, I honestly, folks, between. Drew Friedman doing a portrait of me, and me talking to Mick Jagger today. These are the like these are high points. This is bucket list shit. So it was a real pleasure for me to talk to uh to Drew Friedman. The first book of yours I got was you know any similarities to persons, women does truly come and I'm glad they reissued it because I don't even think I have my original paperback copy got so beat up. <laughs> Because it was so mind blowing to me and I couldn't, I I don't, I'm not even sure I completely understand why, but it was haunting and it had an effect on me for my life. Somehow it made sense of something that uh, seemed to be lurking in my, in my being since the beginning. And I can't, I'm not sure what it is. And then when you do all these uh, other books about the old Jewish comics, I'm like, there it is again. There's something equally as disturbing and haunting about these characters as there are, as, as they are funny. I mean, I don't know where it comes from. Where it's do you find it?
3: I guess I've always had an obsession for things that nobody else is obsessed by. That's it. You know, basically, that's it. Nobody else gave a shit about this stuff, but I did for some reason.
0: Well, what, let's figure out what the reason is. So where'd you grow up in I, New York? Right.
3: Uh, I grew up on uh, yeah, New York, Long Island. First, uh, first 11, uh, twelve years of my life Long Island. Then Manhattan. I was um, moved to Manhattan when I was twelve.
0: And why'd you move?
3: Uh, I think my parents got bored with Long Island. Finally, they finally they first they hated Glen Cove and then they hated Great Neck. Yeah, and then we finally made the plunge and moved to Manhattan. But but (laughs) your
0: father was a a writer. Yeah,
3: and he still is, Bruce J. Friedman. And you know he was working in Manhattan first as a magazine editor at this company called Magazine Management, where where Stanley worked at the next table to him. Um, but he was also writing his own books and plays and short stories and well, he, and, th- and for the theater as well.
0: Well, he's a very respected guy. He's one of the, the great dark wizards uh, of the <laughs> 70s. Uh, uh, that, that generation like Heller and Vonnegut and the satirists that, you know, kind of wrote funny but kind of dark stuff. And
3: those guys were his friends. Too, right. You know, the guys I grew up with were, who were his pals were Mario Puzo and Terry Southern and Joseph Heller and and Kurt Vonnegut. And Wait, so
0: you're a kid. You're 11. How old's your brother?
3: Uh, my older brother Josh is is two years older than me,
0: and he wrote the the uh, Tales of Times Square. And he
3: wrote that book, and he wrote a lot of the material in the first book, Persons Living or Dead. And we collaborated on comic strips early on in the, in the eighties.
0: So, uh, so you're growing up. And you have a sister too?
3: No, we have a, a younger brother, Kip, and I have a, a younger sister, uh, Molly. Who, but well, we didn't grow up with her. She came a little later.
0: Right, of a second marriage thing. Yeah. So, all right. So, you're growing up in the seventies, in the late sixties. And, like, who could be at the house at any given time?
3: Well, like those writers I named and-, and, and Terry Southern. Uh, Terry Southern was one of his best pals, and Jules Pfeiffer was his friend. You know, he had all these writer friends, but the guys who most impressed me were the cartoonists. Right. That he was friends with Jules Pfeiffer. That blew my mind, and Maurice Sendak. And later he got to meet people like Harvey Kurtzman. That those are the guys that impressed me. Those were my heroes. So. Uh, so you didn't
0: like Terry Southern, not an entertaining well, I kinda, gentleman.
3: I took him for granted. It was great, you know. It was great <laughs> to have him around and see him in the house and drinking those guys. Yeah. Well, yeah. I didn't. You know, I was too young to notice that kind of thing at the time. But I was friends with their sons. So right. I was t- friends with Terry Southern's son Niall. He still. And, and, uh, we're in touch. Yeah, Niall yeah. right, is making a movie about his son, his father Terry. Now, actually, finally. Uh, well, actually, he has been working on it. For, I think for the last fifteen years. So. I think I
0: heard that somewhere. Yeah, that, like, it, it's uh, a
3: lifelong project. I think, but you know, it's at sons course.
0: do that, man.
3: Yeah, I have no plans to make one about my dad, but I, I guess I'm, <laughs> I am mean, maybe just a long I comic about uh, that. Any- yeah, it would be more in the lines of a comic strip. I, well, suppose. I had that guy yeah. uh, Denny,
0: Denny Tedesco, yeah. whose father was uh, uh, was uh, in the wrecking crew, the the studio musicians out here in L. A. Yeah, and he'd been working on this documentary for like fifteen or twenty <laughs> years, and uh, they made Tommy Tedesco's his father, and he finally got distribution.
3: Wow, it came wow. together. Wow. Well, I know Niall's film is going to be great when it finally happens. I've seen some footage, and I've talked to Niall about doing the poster for it, possibly. Yeah. So when it happens, I'm sure it'll be terrific.
0: So when you were a kid, and but you were part of this this world that was fairly, uh, you know, a, a very specific and... And, and kind of insulated world of uh, like kind of a groovy New York uh, intellectuals and, and writers and stuff.
3: I guess I was there and, you know, I kind of grew up at Elaine's, which is my dad's hangout. So you went to Lanes.
0: you were in a booth at Elaine's growing up.
3: Basically, but I, I didn't like it. You know, I didn't like it so I mean, it was great to meet like, you know, Al Pacino and Frank Sinatra and George Plimpton and all those guys that were at the tables and stuff. <laughs> but I finally took it for granted. I want to be back in my bedroom with my guinea pig and my comic books and mad magazines and monster magazines and TV. Yeah. I wanted to just be in front of my TV. I didn't want to go to school or camp. I just wanted to watch TV. I just wanted to watch The Three Stooges. On Channel 11? Yeah, Channel 11, Channel 5, Channel 9, WOR. Channel yeah. 11 was WPIX. I had Joe Bolton and uh, and Jack McCarthy, those gods. Yeah, and Soupy Sales was on Channel 5, Metro Media.
0: So you but, remember Soupy Sales' show when it was first on? Oh, yeah, on? yeah,
3: yeah. I remember Soupy telling the kids to like, go take money off their parents. I remember, remember specific? I didn't do it, but I remember it. And I respected him for it and I loved the fact that they, they suspended him for two weeks and then yeah. brought him back and I remember all that specific. You know
0: his kids, you know Hunt and Tony? <laughs> I
3: know all about them. I haven't met them though. No.
0: Oh, but you know some <laughs> of those musicians around. See, growing up in New York, that must have been <laughs> exciting, right?
3: It was, but again, I took it for granted. I had my own little world with the stuff I was Just obsessed with.
0: Were you a, like a loner?
3: I was like a weird little... Uh, you know, I wasn't. In fact, I was... You know, I, I had always had lots of friends and stuff. Yeah. And popular in school, I was a class clown. Yeah. You know, I have no respect for class clowns. It's too easy. The audience is built in, you know? It's like you don't, <laughs> you don't win. You don't earn that audience. <laughs> I, I came to learn that later, but... But I was always popular, but I just wanted to be in my you room. Were hard, just,
0: you were hard on yourself about being class clown? I thought
3: clown? about it later on. I said, that's, that's nothing to <laughs> brag about, being class clown. It's like people who say, you know I was the class clown. That's like, you know, well that sucks. It's did, like-
0: you, did you ever have any uh, aspirations <laughs> to perform? Yeah,
3: I did actually, but I was also kind of shy when I was younger. It was like, you know, I was always obsessed with drawing. If you talk to people who knew me back when I was a kid yeah. in school, I was always bent over the desk drawing. And that, and that wasn't always a good thing because I was drawing my teachers yeah. naked you know, yeah, doing sure. horrible things yeah, all course. over the desk because I yeah. was I, I knew then I wanted to be a, a mad magazine contributor that was my goal I wanted to be one of the idiots
0: so you read you read mad before when it was small when it was comic book form when no, was not, uh,
3: well I, I got them later on uh, oh, but in, that the, was in the a paperback a, but right. you know I was born in 58 and mad became the magazine in 55
0: because that had a profound impact on me too when I first started reading them. but I, I think I was just uh, you're a little older than me but I, I can't remember the first ones I read but my m- grandmother's neighbor a stack of them like Al Jaffe always was like yeah. the guy to me he's like, terrific I loved him and I and, and like the, the, it's amazing what a profound influence it has on your life isn't it?
3: it of course you know it had an influence on me but also I wanted to be part of it It wasn't just like I loved it I wanted to be in it and that was my obsession to be a mad contributor sure and I finally did at age 35 you know I, I, that that came true yeah and that was my goal when I was a little kid to work for mad do work for tops bubblegum like wacky packs and ugly stickers and stuff that all came yeah. true but also, like I became, I wanted to be a national lampoon, and that happened. So you know, I guess I'm lucky because my childhood goals came to pass. And
0: so you, so you're done,
3: basically. <laughs> but I was like just obsessed with drawing all the time, bent over my, my, my desk drawing at all times. So you know, but I knew uh, that's what I, that's I, I'm not fit for anything else. Right. But, to, but what I do. So I knew that from an early age. I, I've never had a job in my life.
0: So yeah, well, what do you think the like? Because like when I think about Mad, like I, I guess it gave me because like your subject matter is fairly specific and and very unique. And I and I have to assume it's it's something a little more interesting than just doing something that no one else is doing. Because Mad Magazine, the Three Stooges, and watching Channel Eleven those. Those black and white TV shows, and like you, you seem to have a mild obsession with Thor. Uh, Thor, I mean. Thor, yeah. 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 And Joe Franklin. Yeah. And there's a there's a freak show element to it. And I <laughs> I just remember one the first time that I was a kid and I got. And I saw that lobby card for Freaks. Before I even saw the movie, I saw that when I was like, you know, eight or nine. And it was like this portal into something I couldn't even figure out or understand. This humanity that was like vulnerable and creepy and, and, and sympathetic mm-hmm. and everything just was loaded up in there. You, did Did you feel that something was like, did you feel like a like it's not morbid I don't even know what I'm trying to get at no you really.
3: it was like who, you know, the people that nobody else gave a shit about I think as far as Tor I just saw the potential in him Tor Johnson yeah. who was the big zombie who roamed around in Plan 9 from outer space and yeah. could hardly speak the big ex-wrestler but I just saw the potential in him as a comic book character as a right. guy in comics because he had the white eyes like Dandy yeah. and Little Orphan Andy. so that was already there yeah. and just to have him like you know just to, those films that he made were horrible like Plan 9 but right. the, the footage of him is beautiful right. and vampire roaming around the graveyard so I just wanted to transfer that to comic form, which is- you know. so, Oh, so that's the way your
0: brain was sort of wired. Yeah, is that, you I, know, You early saw how, on, how people will fit into comics. Yeah,
3: I just thought he had so much potential as a comic, comic star. You know, but, I uh, saw that.
0: On the cover of uh, of the uh, Any Similarity, is that Shemp is on the cover? Who's yeah. on the cover? Well,
3: Shemp is another guy because he's always everybody's least favorite stooge. <laughs> Shemp Howard. It's so so you're like, that's your like, guy. I don't even know if he's my favorite. I love Curly Howard. To me, he's like, he's, he's a god. He's like yeah. from another planet almost, right. you know, Curly. So insanely funny. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, and acting like a dog and rolling around on the ground. He's yeah. like, but I love she- I love all the Howard brothers, but it's, but there's something about Shemp because he looks like a real guy, I think. I figured yeah. it out years you, later. Like, he looks like a guy I would see at, my, at bar mitzvahs and seders and stuff. <laughs> crazy uncles. Exactly. He didn't look like a comedian, although, right. you know, he did in a way, but he looked like just one of those crazy Jewish guys that I would. See, like a couple times a year, character he reminded me of that. Yeah, he was accessible, right? Yeah, where Larry was like sort of the uh, he was the guy in between. Yeah, he was like the audience's surrogate. You know, you could like always identify with Larry. he right. was just like there in the middle, even though he didn't know why he was there. But, and Mo, of course, was so angry at all, and that was so great. Yeah, course, and still is. Just yeah. watching him on YouTube, the clips of him, just so angry about you know, yeah, and everything. I, yeah, and he's just as stupid as the others, but he's just you know angry and in charge somehow. Somebody, <laughs> somebody elected him to be in charge, <laughs> and he knew it. And I know, but there's something about. Shemp, too, and the greasy hair and parted in the middle. Right, and he looked like a gentleman. He was so ugly, and he was voted ugliest man in Hollywood too. But I think I see beauty and ugliness. Always, always thought Boris Karloff was beautiful as Frankenstein monster. Yeah, and Shemp Howard to me is a thing of beauty.
0: Well, th- yeah, that that well, I think that's it. And that <laughs> that was it. You see beauty and ugliness. That's and it, yeah, that's it. That's and it. The, and I think that's what sort of confronts <laughs> people when you look at your your work because it's so detailed and slightly there's a slight caricature to it. But you know, you're 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 sort of like you know. Acne, bumps, pimples. That's right. You know, so everyone seems to be a little wet.
3: Right. There's a lot, a lot of moisture going on. People who smile too much. So I pick up on all that stuff, but it's like uh, the people like nobody else would, you know. My dad said Drew always noticed the people nobody else would notice, like elevator men yeah. and the guys who sell newspapers. And I, it's true. I would like you know, spend extra uh, attention absorbing those guys. Do you,
0: do you uh-huh. sit there and like, do you, do you have that moment where you're like, what is their life like? Because like it seems like some in, in the in a, any similarity, and we'll go through the other books. Like there, you created life you created a life for Joe Franklin, in a way. Well, and, yeah, you know, with the Sitting piece in an undershirt or it, something. I can't remember now.
3: Piece I did with Joshua, which was his life story. We right. did some horrible things in that piece about he's coming actually coming out of his mother's vagina. Yeah, at, at the first <laughs> with, panel, looking
0: like he does now. Right, basically right.
3: the same head. And you know, horrible things are happening. Yeah, but you know, he Joe chose to to sue me. Finally, um, he did. He sued me for forty million dollars, and it was over a basically innocuous comic strip about him shrinking, Uh and that was the thing. He was he's very touchy about his height. Uh huh. Um, it was called the Incredible Shrinking Joe Franklin. The, the piece is in the first book as well. But Joe sued over that, he, and that's
0: what was worth forty million dollars. You know, well, to
3: that him? was a you know a reasonable sum, which I've always said. I had about ten dollars <laughs> in the bank at the time. But he sued for forty, and it was finally dismissed. He also sued National Lampoon because it ran in heavy metal. You
0: really pissed Joe Franklin
3: off. It's something that got to him. Yeah, the fact that we, I, that we that I went after his height. So
0: it's no good with you too.
3: No, that was like you know he sued Uncle Floyd for thirty five million. He sued me for forty million. Why did he sue Uncle Floyd? He sued him. Uncle Floyd did a, the, the Joe Frankfurter Show. Right. His, he's like he put on. A big head, yeah, and like the Joe Frankfurter. You know, <laughs> right. you know sound. who I had in here?
0: Who's that? <laughs> uh, Marty Allen.
3: Ah, uh, Marty Allen. He's ninety-five. Did he wanted to do the show. Did he take off his wig when he sat down? Here? He didn't have a wig anymore. Oh, really? There's, it's just sort of a think, weird thing I think going when on. When he when he when he performs in Vegas, he lives in Vegas. I think he has, he has like a Kathy Lee Gifford co-host.
0: It's his wife. Oh, okay, okay. It's his wife. That's right. It's Remember crazy
3: when, when Steve Rossi, the way they broke up with uh, Alan and Rossi broke up, he got he got um, Slappy White uh-huh. to uh, I didn't be know his, that. Yeah, so it was like uh, <laughs> Rossi and White. Is black that and what white. he did? Yeah, yeah, he got Slappy White brief. So it was like a like a you know a black and white team. It but like,
0: but long. like Marty Allen coming up. He's walking up the hill. He's got a walker. There's yeah. two people that are with him, and we're like, "You need any help?" He's like, "No, no." Hello, hello. there. Hello
3: there. <laughs> Nothing. Ever, what was he promoting? Even like, uh, I don't know uh, why
0: it happened. Uh-huh. I think somebody who works for him uh, said it'd be nice. That, you know, you me? He, 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 they knew I did Mel Brooks and yeah. Carl Reiner. And yeah. So, so they're like maybe Marty Allen, I never really thought about it, and I had to like kind of go through the fact that it was a fairly substantial <laughs> career he had.
3: Well, yeah, of course he but was between he was mm, as big as Martin and Lewis in the sixties. But uh, they
0: kind of replaced them in a way. Exactly. Like yeah. once they kind of, I guess, broke up. Yeah. Uh, that was the they were the guys. That's right. Well, but in the 60s, between me and you, I'd never ever in my life it was sort of endearing in some sad way that uh, you know like he has to use the bathroom. He's ninety five. And then he, he leaves, they leave, and he had pissed all over the
3: fucking wow. floor. Did you clean up after I him cleaned leave, it was the first time? I would I go cleaned look up. At that piss if it was still there. Yeah. I, I would, well, have, I wish
0: I had it for it. I would take you. a I, photo I would, of it. I wow. would have taken Marty piss Marty Allen's, Allen's pissed. Yeah, I cleaned up after Marty's. The first time I clean up oh. after a guest. And I have to, I, I'm giving him the benefit, of the benefit of the doubt that he didn't just piss on it on purpose. Well, you
3: know, I've had people piss on my toilet too over the years. My, on the floor, in everywhere. In my apartment. Everywhere. I had Dan Aykroyd come up to my apartment once yeah. with my dad. They were yeah. working on a movie. It became a horrible movie, Dr. Yeah. Detroit. But he came up and used my bathroom and pissed a little on the floor in the yeah. seat. Yeah. And I really gave it some thought. Should I clean this up? Yeah. You know, or You're going to leave like it? Preserve it <laughs> and turn it into a shrine. <laughs> yeah. the Marty Allen's would be worth preserving. but I think so. But those guys are there's not that many of those guys left. Like I'm out, I'm in Los Angeles now. You know, just two years ago, three years ago, when I did a signing. Carl Ballantyne joined me in the signing wow. at, at at Skylight Books, and now he's gone. And but
0: but like you were saying before, you know, there's this like uh you know the the idea just the fact the detail of uh, of Marty Allen's wig that there 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 is something I think what you recognize and I think as certainly as these people go get older is that there's something horrendously <laughs> grotesque about show business.
3: <laughs> you've you've noticed that too? <laughs> but yeah. But I mean but I it's it,
0: it, it's, sort of, it's sort of specific because as things get glossier and you know you don't get to see you don't have that experience like the way you capture Bob Hope or Milton Berle as, as they're aging or, or in different situations where you're taking this this icon and, and making them probably you know uh, just as dirty as they really are on some level that uh that everything's gotten so squeaky clean and so protected that that type of show business doesn't exist anymore yeah that's and it's a part good point. of the char- It's part of the charm of it that's
3: a good point I just yeah.
0: saw Larry Storch was a uh, you know he did his last show at, yeah. at the comedy store because he started there when it was zero uh-huh. I didn't see the show but I saw him after. And and there's something like even that place you go to the comedy store. No, you never been? Uh,
3: not for not for a while.
0: I mean, it used to be Ciro's. Yeah, yeah. That used to be the fucking place. Yeah,
3: I should get over there.
0: Well, you should just feel it. Yeah, I think you'd enjoy the feeling because she hasn't changed it much. Good point.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I got to squeeze a lot into this trip, and that's that, that's something I'll do.
0: Yeah, if you, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you if you—if you get off on that stuff. I mean, yeah, outside of, like, you know, uh, drawing these guys, do you get off on old Hollywood?
3: Oh, I do. You know, I, when when my dad was writing screenplays in the late 60s, he used to bring my brothers and I out, but he would bring us out individually. So yeah. he'd always scoop me up and bring me out. And I wanted to get right over to Hollywood Boulevard and just, like, see whatever is preserved from the past. Right. Wherever Ed Wood worked, things like that, you know. You're fascinated like, with Ed Wood? Break, Oh, of course, of so. course uh we 're actually doing a uh, uh, an interview with with Larry Kazarewski and Scott Alexander who wrote the Ed Wood film tomorrow i 'm going to join them for an interview, but they 're pals. What uh, was it about him uh Well, the fact that he had just basically he had virtually no talent but he also but he was just obsessed with like proving himself like you know just get putting putting his work out there even though he had nothing to offer basically and I yeah. admire that so much. <laughs> People have nothing to offer, but still they want to offer it you know. <laughs> It's like I think Zero Mostel says, like all I can offer is failure. You know, uh, people demand success. All I have to offer is failure. In producers, and, yeah, you know, I love that line. <laughs> How Jewish did you grow up? Not at all. I didn't go to I didn't go to Hebrew school. Nothing. No, we went to bar mitzvahs and seder's and stuff. And I used to laugh at all my friends and, and relatives who had to go through that stuff. But my parents were falling away uh, Jews. I think. Uh, what
0: screenplays did your old man write?
3: Well, over the years, he's written. Um, uh, uh, the Heartbreak Kid was based on his short story. Neil Simon uh, wrote that, uh, turned that into a, into the movie. With, it's a great movie. The, yeah, the original, not the new one. Which, no, yeah, which the I original, haven't seen yeah. the original. Then he wrote he wrote movies like Stir Crazy and Splash. And did he
0: write Stir Crazy? Yeah, that was a good movie.
3: That, that's fun. Richard Pryor's great. Now. Yeah, there's some yeah there's some good stuff on that. Uh, he wrote Splash, Doctor Detroit, The Lonely Guy. Uh, he, had, he wrote the
0: Lonely Guy, yeah, with Aww. Steve Martin
3: film. So he had a he had a good run in the eighties. Yeah. Groden was great. He was, yes, yeah. he, he was. He was like very subdued. Uh, Groden was actually obsessed with that book, my dad's book, the which Lon- one? Lonely Guy's Book of Life, which they based the movie on. Yeah, um, he was kind of. A, he used to read passages from. it, So it was great that they got him. Was he
0: that. a family friend?
3: Yeah, he was actually goes back way uh, back with my father because he was in Steam Bath, my father's play when it was off Broadway, uh-huh. and then he was in he starred in the Heartbreak Kid. So they've had this par- They've had this, uh, you know. Over the years, over fifty years now, because he was just in this short uh, film that was made of my dad's uh, one of my dad's short stories with uh, Michael Cera. Yeah, started it and used Chuck Charles Grodin as his dad in that.
0: You get along with your dad?
3: Yeah, we're great friends. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, always. Yeah, we've never had any. There's never been any issues. We're pals. Yeah, he's doing. He's uh, he's uh, 84, and you know he's had he's had some health health issues, but you know uh, we, we get along great.
0: Now, when you started drawing, like, when did you first start doing panels? I mean, as opposed to just doodling and really focus on, you know, creating comics.
3: The the first panel comic strip we ever did was actually the Andy Griffith piece, um, which was about, you know, Josh wrote it. Excellent, excellent script. And I drew it. it was the late 70s. I was still going to school, School of Visual Arts. My teachers were Harvey Kurtzman, Will Eisner, Art Spiegelman.
0: So, like, explain to me and, and to, like, the people that listen. Because, like, like, I mean, I know there's people that in the world of comics – you know, there's, there's the world that you're from, and then there's also the world of mainstream comics. Other than Stan Lee, it seems like a lot of the guys that you gravitated towards were, were not underground, but definitely off to the side of Marvel, right?
3: Well, I grew up, you know, like I said, my dad worked next to Stan Lee, so he'd deposit all these comics into yeah. my bedroom every Friday. So there were stacks of that stuff, yeah. you know, brand new, and I would hang out at Marvel Comics when I was a little kid. Get to meet Stanley, Jack Kirby, those guys, and and like I said, I wanted to be a mad contributor. But as I got older, I did become obsessed with Robert Crumb. I mean, that's like what he was doing just blew my mind. I had never seen anything like that. It changed my life as far as an artist and, and my whole perspective. Was that in about, the 60s or was yeah, it around when was, it was happening? I was like way too young to even be looking at that stuff. Right. I was eight years old. You're supposed to be an adult. So like
0: that one up there, like that first Zap comic yeah, maybe? Yeah, sure. Yeah.
3: That might have been the first one I was looking at. I yeah. actually drew that recently for for another book where I discover Robert Crumb's work and it blew my mind. It was like, I knew I shouldn't have been looking at it. It was so forbidden. And yeah. I was like seeing things. So it's like, what the, you know, It was like looking at-
0: that's why I learned how uh, how the where the penis went yeah. when you did that thing. <laughs> yeah,
3: he educated us all. He did. He did. Like right that's how the, it goes. You're in You're a then. little younger than me, but I like was eight years old in 1969. Sixty-eight, and looking at this stuff, and, and like I, you know, I slipped the pile, I slipped the comic book into the, you know, pile of stuff my parents were buying. They didn't pay any attention, and I had like amassed a little collection. But he changed my whole perspective. about every, like, finally, I, all of a sudden, I didn't want to be a MAD contributor. I wanted to do underground comics.
0: Well, what was it exactly that that well, gra- like, that you, resonated? you know, I
3: used to, I used to look at his work and think like there must be a, like a bunch of guys named Robert Crumb because he had all these different styles, yeah, these yeah. beautiful styles. That, you know, and, and, and I would learn later that he just, like, would draw. He'd never, like, he'd hardly do pencils. He would just draw with ink onto the paper. It was just all in his mind that he and was it like, came out you know, like, I that. don't believe in God, but I believe somehow he was, like, touched by God to, like, draw like that, like Frank Sinatra sings. It's just like- well, How's this, your
0: process different?
3: Well, I, I really work hard on penciling. Like, I really do a tight pencil before I start painting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, really block it out. It's, like, almost like a, a map. You know, which I follow when I'm, and painting. also
0: your your style is very
3: uh, uh, pointillistic. Well, it used to be. I used to do the little dots, and no then, more. Well, well, I guess not, for, not. Not for a few years. I, I switched over to watercolor to painting. You know, just yeah, my, yeah. Th- th- to um, I actually got bored with it, the, the stippling style. Uh-huh. I don't even like the word stipple, but I'm not <laughs> a fan of. I was never a fan of it. But I like, I love working with the brush. So you know, my my recent books, including my new book, Heroes of the Comics, is all is all watercolor. Everything's done with the brush. But you still have that amazing sensibility. There is a sense of like. Uh,
0: like, I, it's very hard, I think, that... To do something that, that reads as realistically, but on some level, because of the way they're framed and the way their body is structured, there is a caricature element to it, right?
3: Yeah. I've been labeled a caricature. I don't think I am also well, a am por- artist. I'm just saying there's like There's a slight distortion. That's but it. It's, yeah. just that's, that's it. But there's a slight... <laughs> but it's not like, you know, I don't... Sh- no, it's
0: not an extreme distortion, which would imply caricature. Exactly. It's a slight distortion. Right. I don't see
3: a chin and have to exaggerate. <laughs> I don't look at Jay Leno and say, I got to extend that <laughs> chin. You know what? I'll make that chin even bigger. <laughs> you know that's, that's, that's what a caricature is so what, when you say <laughs> exactly
0: so when you say a slight distortion
3: yeah just like and in fact it's like it happens you know, naturally perhaps you won't even pick it up and right. perhaps in some cases there's no distortion right like with the Jack Benny, uh, Jack, Benny Jack Kirby portrait on the cover the, I don't think there's any exaggeration it's what I wanted to capture was that melancholy like broken down spirit you know this guy who created all this work over 50 years what was and, his who was he well he like did all the early Marvel uh, superhero stuff like he invented Along with Stan Lee's writing, um, the Fantastic Four and and uh-huh. and, and, uh, um, and the the Hulk and uh, Captain America,
0: he invented what Stan Lee. He invented, like he does.
3: basically created all that stuff. Like drew all that. Those early. Uh, that only work, yeah. And he was not very well compensated, especially later in his life. And they kept all his artwork. They finally returned some of it. He wasn't. He wasn't appreciated. He wasn't treated very nicely. I don't think. Did so he ever get it? He, he. They returned some of his artwork years later, and only recently they worked out a deal. Marvel, who's owned by Disney, they worked out a deal to to, to, to give him to give his family, uh, you know, some of the money that it is due. Really? Yeah. yeah. Or some of the money. So they this should. is
0: like a, a sort of a beaten man kind of. It's defensive. kind of there,
3: but 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 still like reflecting his that amazing universe he created behind him in that uh, swirling Jack Kirby esque um, artwork.
0: That's... Yeah, and do you find that a lot? Of, well, you know, Stan Lee's doing fine.
3: Yeah, well, he's he's ninety one. <laughs> he's yeah, he's still you know he's, he he still goes to conventions and he's having fun.
0: Like you know, I'm sad to say, and I and maybe I'm alone in this, in that you know, like my. My sense of, of, of comics, like I didn't I didn't grow up loving them and there was a period maybe when I was in my thirties that I started reading a few. Uh but I came into comics more around the stuff like, like uh any resemblance yeah. and, and the R Crumb stuff. But in in cer- in terms of mainstream comics I never was that guy. Mm-hmm. Mad Magazine definitely. But um, like I don't know who a lot of these people are. Right,
3: you mentioned Al Jaffe. he's in the book, so we got some of the mad guys in here. Guys yeah, who and- sta- these are guys who started in comics, like you know, in right. the '30s and '40s. So Al Jaffee and Mort Drucker, Harvey Kurtzman are in here. Yeah, um, these Gaines, are guys William, I was like William Gaines I know all about when I was younger, and then kind of moved away from that world, and and I kind of lost interest in mainstream comics, like uh, as the uh, as the years. When the uh, comics code came into into being, what they, is that now? That's a, the, the, the little code. You yeah, see yeah. that little uh, box. Yeah, they kind of uh, uh, bland, the comic books became bland after that happened. They knocked. They 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 got rid of all the horror comics and yeah. crime comics and sex. There was no more sex in comics. It all became bland and whitewashed and. Uh, what sanit- year was that sanitized 55 so kind of after that i lose i sort of lose interest in mainstream comics and i jump a decade when robert crumb showed up and that's when i, I get excited s again. clay wilson yeah those guys yeah oh, i love that guy yeah. I, my, my next book project might be portraits of, of all those guys that's the zap guys yeah yeah including s clay Spain. wilson those guys are robert williams is still around he's in the los angeles yeah, he's here yeah he's terrific
0: yeah he's good but yeah. he like he's after you really right
3: well you know it's like he, like a zap guy. He's like one of the original zap guys. Oh,
0: well, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He
3: dates, he's like, did that chrome, like that. Right, right. Yeah, from the Pretty detailing. Amazing. Yeah, right. yeah. But he was one of those like essential, those, those seven guys right. who did zap and, Spain yeah. and, and him. Victor and, Moscoso, Rick Griffin, who died years ago. Yeah. He did a lot of poster art.
0: He did the psychedelic stuff. Uh, right, right. Yeah. Right. Right. What now like you were in Lampoon and stuff. I mean, what, are you a Gahan Wilson f- fan?
3: Well, yeah, sure. I love those guys. You know, yeah. I like kind of joined Lampoon when it was no longer funny in the mid-80s. Right. That's when I like, you know, started doing work <laughs> right. for them and stuff. And what
0: about the other guy? What's his name? Rodriguez? Yeah, Charles Rodriguez. He something, he's something, right? He's terrific.
3: Yeah, he's great. He's a hero. Gross? Yeah. Sam Gross. Yeah. Sam Gross is still kicking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All those guys, Bobby London, all the Lampoon guys were like, you know, I idolize those guys. Like I said, I wanted to be a Lampoon contributor after absorbing all that stuff. In the what 70s. was
0: that guy? What was his name? Bodie? Bo- well, Vaughn Baudet. He yeah. died.
3: Well, Bodie, yeah. He died early too. But he's one of these guys I used to go to comic book conventions back in the 70s. And he would be there, but he looked like a rock star. He had long hair like uh, you know curled yeah. it was curled it was kind of like
0: Mark Bolin almost
3: but yeah he did look like him. I mean, he had groupies around too yeah. so it was like the guys I drew in my book Heroes of the Comics are like these anonymous looking guys they look like stockbrokers yeah. yeah, like guys yeah. you would never notice right and all of a sudden they got these guys in the 70s that look like rock stars yeah. like showing up at conventions with groupies around them long hair what was a
0: comic book convention like in the 70s <laughs>
3: you know they were like kind of like, They were what is like, like a like a big room with yeah. all these like versions yeah. who were like into buying comic books and you know and me I was like obsessed with the EC Comics. I wanted to buy old EC Comics and Underground Comics.
0: Which one was those, the EC Comics? Well, like
3: Tales from the Crypt, Volta Horror, you know, early Mad. When Mad was a comic book, it was an EC Comic. That was my obsession.
0: Do you have a collection now?
3: No, I got rid of them years ago. Really? I I used to have thousands. You let them go? Yeah, I I sold them all. I sold a huge pile. Did you make money? when When Kathy and I married, I was just like, I don't want to, like, you know, take this stuff with me everywhere we move. I made five hundred bucks. I just said, "Let let me just get rid of it all." Oh, do you regret that? (laughs) No, because they were yellowing anyway. They smelled bad. You know, like what am I going to do with this stuff? You know, I'd already absorbed them you know like, you, so I kind of like went through them and I didn't need them anymore I'm not were, an obsessive collector thank god I right? have stuff. Kathy
0: thank god not an obsessive collector no
3: I have I have stuff and people send me stuff they give me stuff which is wonderful but I don't I don't seek I don't seek out anything anymore but now, I have an amazing collection somehow
0: now as Just, a guy so you say you didn't do <laughs> like panels or, or stories until you and your brother started doing it after college, I mean, you were just drawing, you know, free. You just were just doodling. I
3: was, well, I was going to a uh, school of visual arts. But
0: when did you go? I mean, when you were in high school? Like meds, you...
3: I was always obsessively drawing, just like Basil Wolverton. I was obsessed with him. He was the guy who drew the insane, like n- like monster faces. It looked like he was drawing like noodles. It's yeah. Like you know, it looked like his his line was base, was was made from a noodle. Were these in the EC comics? Sometimes EC, sometimes Med. He did his own comic books. Uh huh. Um, you know his work instantly. He did this. Um, a couple couple of covers of Mad comic books. Uh-huh. You know, so like you, you'd never forget his work once you see his work. It's like,
0: like skeleton skeleton showing. And not like, really.
3: Well, not really like grotesque kind of. Stuff. Well, right. gr- yes, grotesque, but not monsterish. Type. Right, right. Not like ghoulish kind of right. things. Like cartoony, but um, he like uh, Robert Crumb was obsessed with him yeah. early on, and Art yeah. Spiegelman and those guys, and um, there's books of his work. But he was like a, he in this book, your uh, book. Yes, he is. Yes, he's okay. in there. Um, but guys like him and, and Harvey Kurtzman, Don Martin, all the mad guys were my my, my idols. Mort Drucker especially, and Al Jaffe, and, mm-hmm. and 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 Bob. Even the lesser mad guys, you know, I just like would absorb, stare at their work, and just you know, a lot of the times I didn't even read the stuff. I just wanted to look at the artwork. Yeah, I was yeah. So obsessed. But Don Martin's uh, sense of humor and Mort Drucker's caricature work and all of it, I was just absorbed by all of it, and I just wanted to be part of it somehow. And um, so that's what, that, that. You know, here I am today.
0: <laughs> but uh, when when uh, when you went to college,
3: well, I was going to art school. I wanted to be a cartoonist, but I didn't know what particular which particular direction to go in.
0: What did you learn in art school, though? Like you come Not in. How much? Got I certain... was pretty
3: hard to teach. I kind of yeah. went in, went in like knowing what I wanted to do, which was like draw, like what I was particularly obsessed with. I picked up on the stipple work, like uh, just like casually. Uh, started where I, like I, I wasn't a fan of it. I just like it slowed me down because I used to draw really fast. Yeah, and that was like a handicap because the simple
0: sti- work was what the point. The- yeah, the
3: pointillism really slowed me down. I had to concentrate. But you, you chose to do that. For yeah, years. I, it, it was like an experiment. Right. Um, and then
0: it, what you it became associated well, then it became, with you.
3: It became like yeah, yeah. It yeah. was, but it was good because it like it's. Uh, I think it set me apart. It was like oh, he's the guy who does that kind of work. Yeah, and he's and 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 he's you know he he's he's good at it. And uh, there's nobody else really around who does that, especially cartoon humorous work. Right. They're stipple artists, but most right. of their work is like kind of boring. It's like drawings of curtains and clouds, and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. tapestry. So that's an actual- And aspect. I was drawing Tor Johnson's yeah. face and Shen <laughs> Howard Shep. And, sti- and this you know, meticulous yeah. stipple work. But finally in too meticulous, it just slowed me down. Also the tapping, constant tapping. You know, We had a little apartment on 6th Street yeah. in Manhattan when Kathy and I first got together. And I would, you know, have deadlines, and I'd be working at two in the morning, tapping away, and the bed was like three <laughs> feet away, and she'd have to get up to go to work. So finally, you know, she it's had wh- to say something. It's worse than cocaine. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was driving her nuts. It was gonna, it, <laughs> it was gonna destroy the relationship, or you know. And I wasn't that, you know, it wasn't that important to me to just get, so I phased it out over. A but year.
0: it was a sort of a, a, an odd usage of a of a technique, right? That right. you made your own.
3: I think so, yeah. And yeah. also, but mainly, it it did slow me down because I was drawing way too fast, mm-hmm. and I was like not concentrating enough as much as I should be. I wasn't giving it enough thought. And just drawing way way too fast.
0: Who were your teachers over there?
3: Well, Harvey Kurtzman was one guy. He was the how guy, old
0: was he then? He was a was, he was actually
3: my age, and he was like fifty six, which you know.
0: But he was one of the original Mad guys. Yeah, he's
3: actually invented Mad. Uh-huh. You know, he's like conceived Mad. Was their first editor. Drew uh, uh, wrote everything in MAD the first 24 issues practically everything and what'd and, you learn
0: from him he was a uh, hero you know, of he, yours was not, really, he was right? a
3: hero but you know uh, I loved Harvey Kurtzman. I loved thinking about him and talking about him but he was not a great teacher I was not a great student but right. he wasn't a great teacher he was like basically there just to like you know kind of hang out with the students and show them stuff yeah. it was it was mainly being around him, being in his presence. He was kind of a guru, so right. anything, he, any kind of advice he offered, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, which yeah, was yeah, which yeah. was rare, which was seldom. Yeah. But anything was just right on the money. And he yeah. also he also recognized who who in the class um, had potential or had. Had talent worth paying attention and to. You, and and who might go play. So he, he kind of singled me out. Mark Newgarden as well. My friend Kaz, cartoonist. I think I have some of his stuff. Yeah, he's, he's good. terrific. I'll be seeing him later.
0: Very different than you.
3: Yeah. And I, actually Kaz is an old friend and, and Kathy, Kathy's friends with him too. We go back way back. We didn't like each other at first because he was a Jersey City Lithuanian punk. Yeah. And I was a privileged Upper West Side Jew. Yeah. And we just had no, seemed to have nothing in common. And we kind of circled each other like we didn't like but each other. But
0: what do you call his style? It's <laughs> sort of a throwback. You're right. Yeah, yeah, he
3: his style's kind of like the next step from like uh, Lz Seeger, the guy who created Popeye. He's right. like the, the more, like the updated Popeye, you know, uh-huh. especially in the 80s and like the uh like a new like the the punk era and and the new wave comics and stuff. He kind of like took L- that style and like updated it to, you know. Yeah. And his stuff is still terrific and funny and I think I'm the first guy who ever said to him like, Kaz, yeah, your stuff is really funny and he never thought about that because he was like more into the artsy <laughs> kind of right right I was like briefly editing Nash Lampoon's comic section I brought him in I said you know and he said why would you ask me to do I said I think your, your stuff is really funny and he had never considered that it so. was not his point he acknowledges that yeah. but you know he saw <laughs>
0: himself more as an artist
3: yeah yeah he was like but he comics artist he also loved Robert Crumb right. he wanted to be a cartoonist and he wanted to do comics just like me so he had this parallel kind of uh, existence and now
0: Will Eisner is like this this grand you know, this mythic presence and, and explain to me his importance.
3: Well, he was a, a, a he was a legendary guy in the world of comic books. Although his com his work For what in, reason his 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 uh, work in comics was very brief, just a couple of years. But actually, when he was very young, like twenty twenty one, he started this uh, artist's uh, this. Uh, uh, the shop what yeah. they call a, a shop with another guy 10 years older than them where they bring in when comics were exploding when Superman yeah. just happened right. so Will Eisner had the foresight to, to think about like opening this shop where he'd hire all these young car- artists and turn out all this work and completed comic books stories and uh, he'd hire so writers, like a- writers artists inkers and all these like like 40 guys crammed in a room creating these comics and he was like in charge and would block out stuff for them and everything was like in charge. but then he gave all that up to concentrate on his character the spirit uh-huh. Which he started, and and that was in a, a, done for a newspaper supplement. It was uh-huh. like the first. It was like you know, he broke away from comic books early on, but you know he was like he another guy who was influenced by movies, especially like something like Citizen Kane, right? Where his panel structure it was just like so uh, ups, ups, uh, influenced by. Orson Welles and what he was seeing in the film noir and he, and his panel breakdowns were beautiful.
0: Like that long focus business. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah.
3: And like, yeah, the angles and yeah. things you would never see in anybody else's work and he was like there at the beginning with that. So that was groundbreaking. So he was, yeah. So yeah. he was a teacher and he was from the old school. So yeah. his class was really structured unlike Harvey Kurtzman right. which was character. So car- uh, casual, Will's class was l- really structured where he would the whole cl- one particular class would be all about word balloons, and and it is, in Will Eisner's mind, it's like how to draw comics the Will Eisner way yeah. was like basically his thinking.
0: But that's not a bad way to learn from. Well,
3: like he had all these obsessive students around who were like, "Oh my God, Will Eisner!" It's like, <laughs> and I was there, and I just wanted to draw my stuff. Yeah. And Will didn't quite, you know, Will and I got along. We had, a, you know, he, he enjoyed my sense of humor. Uh, he didn't quite get what I was drawing. I was working on a comic about Fred Mertz in his comic <laughs> in his class. And I would, you know, sit in the, in the class and just stipple, like, you know. And he'd look, and he said, you know, like, Drew, what do you... <laughs> Call me Friedman. Friedman, yeah. what are you doing? You're wasting time. Comics are not about the... Uh... Uh, William Frawley they're about this heroes and villains and, super, and, and and heroines and sidekicks not about Fred Mertz yeah. he was like baffled <laughs> by by that kind of stuff and he just didn't you know he thought I was wasting throwing away my talent you know <laughs> on stuff like that <laughs> yeah but I always enjoyed him he was like a raconteur he loved to talk about the old days that's funny he was like
0: he it. was old school He, he, was, he like, was. what are you doing who cares about Fred Mertz
3: and he, was, he was old school but also he was like 60 at the time which to me again sounds really young now but he wasn't like an old old man he was like right. 60 when but he's, he was really old school, he, like from another era, from yeah. the th- 30s and 40s.
0: And what what was your relationship with uh, with Spiegelman?
3: Well, again, he was another teacher and also- He
0: taught there too? Jesus. So yeah. was this like a, the folk, they had a comic major, cartoonist major?
3: Was, this was the late 70s. It was Harvey Kurtzman, uh, Will Eisner, and Art Spiegelman were my three teachers during the week. You know, most of the students in the class—they didn't know who they were. It was nothing special. They yeah. were just like the teachers, yeah. you know. But for me, it was like it was like the Ra- Mount Rushmore of cartooning. Right. Art Spiegel hadn't created Mouse yet. Um, but he was, you know, he was, I knew him from underground comics. He was very intense about teaching comics. and Smoking uh, those camels? Constant, yeah, constant smoking of cigarettes. Yeah. But also so intense, had such a deep love for comics and the history of comics and stuff that nobody else had appreciated yet. Like, history of comics, including, like, teaching things about, like, like, Leonard Moulton, like, would, it was the first guy who wrote a Three Stooges, uh, uh, bibliography. No yeah. film scholar had ever thought about that. Yeah. But Art Spiegel was the first, like, uh, historian or a comics historian or teacher, that actually discussed Mad Magazine in the class or Mad Comic Or books. Crazy Cat. Yeah, that stuff. Yeah, yeah. especially Crazy Cat and yeah. that stuff from the 20s. And, and it, what'd you learn from that? Well, it's like, you know, I was such a wise guy back when I was a teacher. I didn't want to be bothered with it. I mean, student, I, I hardly wanted to be bothered. I wanted to be kind of left alone, do yeah. my own thing. But I appreciated, like, his passion for that stuff. And then at the time, he was creating his own magazine- Right at that time, 1980, called Raw. Yeah, I And he was looking that. for young contributors, and he, he picked specifically me and Mark Nogarden and Kaz to be in the first issue, which was terrific. What was the other guy's
0: name? Panther. What yeah, Gary it? Panther. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, he's terrific too. Was he, he used to be in Los Angeles. He's in Brooklyn now. Yeah. But he did like this um, amazing like punk punk. Yeah, kind of, yeah, it was and interesting. And he also did covers of Time Magazine and yeah. stuff at the same time. I think I have a couple of the old Raws up there somewhere. Yeah. That Ama- was amazing. That was yeah, a huge book. great, yeah, it was like large size. It was like life magazine size comic. Mm-hmm. you know it was like the next step from underground comics, which were kind of like uh, over at that point yeah. 1980.
0: Why did you and your brother like you? You and your brother did how many books together? Two.
3: We had two books come out. The first one was "Persons Living and Dead" with the sham cover. The second was called "Warts and All" with the uh, warts that uh, embossed warts that you can, you know, that yeah. Stevie Wonder could enjoy, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and and then after that, we kind of like drifted apart. He was a more into in he was became he was a, a, a magician magi- musician. He yeah. Moved to Dallas. I moved to Pennsylvania. We kind of also I wanted to branch out and do work for. Um, I was doing work for Spy Magazine, so I was doing a lot of illustrations. A good
0: magazine What happened to that fucking magazine? You know, it had
3: its time, and yeah. then everybody moved on. Like Kurt Anderson moved on to the radio, and K- Graydon Carter like became editor of some magazine. I forget what it was. <laughs> Do you <laughs> stuff like that? You know, everybody <laughs> moved on and got bored with it. everybody. All the writers moved to Hollywood. Either moved yeah. to Hollywood, or you know, like you know, became screenwriters or whatever. So it's like a stepping stone. Right. You know? I was happy with. It. I even got bored with it finally. Sure. You know. But it was like at one point it was like you know the magazine. You yeah. Know, you couldn't miss an issue of Spy in the mid '80s, yeah. late '80s. I did. You know, I had. Some fun. Although I did stuff like, like if I they said, drew, 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 we have a thing about Michael Milken. I said, okay, that's fine. You got to tell me who Michael Milken is. It's like, you know, because yeah. I, or Lee Atwater, it's like, yeah. I don't know who these guys, you, you know. Do you
0: have any room for my Milton Berle piece? You're yeah, was, I was thinking along long
3: Like, I could draw, like, the politicians, like Reagan, but like some of these guys for Adelaide Field. I said, look, I'm, I'm fine with it, but you just got to explain to me who these people are, you know. But then you do, <laughs> like,
0: you do a portrait, like, uh, I, I got to buy some of these. You do a portrait, like I, you know, I'm doing research now on, on Norman Lear, and you've got a picture of Nat Hyken, who was very important to Norman Lear. Yeah. And you're like this, you know, you're a kid compared to Norman Lear, and like, where does Nat Hyken play into your mythology? To
3: me, Nat Hyken was the greatest, this is my opinion, and you know, I hate these guys, you know, when they make these statements, but to me, he's the greatest genius, comic genius who ever worked in television. He created the Bilko show with for Phil Silvers and Car 54. Where are you? Yeah, which is to me is like a masterpiece. You know, you every did, episode. And
0: you did Joey Ross too, right?
3: Yeah. Well, he's another guy. He's like a, you know this horrible, like obnoxious burlesque comedian. Nobody else. Nobody saw the potential in him as having any kind of career outside of burlesque comedy with yeah. strippers and stuff. Nat Hiken recognized it and actually called him in the middle of the night. He was Joey Ross was in bed with a hooker. Yeah. And Nat Hiken called him and said, "Look, I, I want you to audition for the Bilko show." And yeah. Joey Ross hung up on him. You know, he thought he was being you know they were. <laughs> He played yeah him. he was being yeah. punked yeah um, but he called him back and then he wound up on Bilko as as, as Rupert Ritzik, who <laughs> was the uh, chef or the you know yeah. the guy who worked and then he they co-starred with Fred Gwynn in uh, car 54 and he's brilliant I think you know I mean he could hardly deliver a joke or a line but he's just such a presence such such a face
0: do you ever read a I don't know if you know about do you know Cliff nesteroff
3: Oh sure, I'm seeing him tonight, and uh, yeah. yeah, oh good, I, good. I did a, I did a piece with him.
0: I just want to make sure you guys know each oh, other. Oh
3: sure, sure. He's a, you know, he fascinates me because he's a really young guy. He's like 30s, early 30s. Yeah. When I
0: started reading his stuff, I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And yeah. he was up in Vancouver. Uh huh. And I, you know, I met him. He used to do a, he used to do shtick. <laughs> I do stand up. He used to do stand up. Yeah. But like, I thought he was going to be this old wizard, you know? And he's just this young, wiry little nerdy I know guy. I know. Not even Jewish. <laughs> and he's fascinating. Go figure. Yeah. I don't know where world. he comes from. Where, what you know? But uh, he really captures almost exactly the same thing that you capture as a as an illustrator really? as an artist the tone of his prose. He just
3: put on Facebook, Drew, Drew and I are kindred kindred spirits. I and believe that. I don't know where he comes from either. I don't know much about his background. I know he's a young guy. I think I helped him get In into Canada. this get into this country when he wanted to move to Los Angeles. I yeah. wrote a letter on his behalf explaining why. You know, he's a terrific writer, and also he's he's writing this book on the history of 20th century comedy. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to I see. I hooked him
0: up with the agent.
3: Yeah, yeah. For Grove Press, right? He got. I think he got the contract after he was on your show. Right. So yeah. Yeah, I just I so find he should dedicate the book to you. I think.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe. Well, I'm he, it. I'm I, I just it. like there was a couple of things that he wrote that just sort of that changed my mind about uh, uh, or just sort of like I just found it. Uh, <laughs> the tone was perfect.
3: He is. He's great, and he's a
0: hell of a researcher. He's I've completely helped, obsessed. I helped
3: him with a few interviews, like he did Bill Persky, the Dick Van Dyke, who's a who's a pal of mine from the East Coast. Uh, I, I hooked him up with him, and then I, you know, I'm in touch with Jerry Lewis, so I talked to Jerry Lewis occasionally, and I said, Jerry, this is this guy Cliff Nesterhoff. Who was doing this book on 20th century comedy? He love to interview Cliff Neidesthoff. He yeah. couldn't get the he couldn't get over that name. Yeah. He had to repeat it over and yeah, yeah. Drew, tell him to call me. I'll talk to him. And you did know? he? I think Cliff called him, and it was one of those. All right, call me back on Tuesday. I'll I'll talk to you then. And I don't think it ever happened. So it, you're you're
0: close with Jerry Lewis. You
3: know, uh, I, um, there's uh, there's. Uh, Kathleen Freeman, when she talks about Jerry Lewis, people say like, well, what's he really like? And she goes, well, he's been nice to me. Right. And that's my feeling towards Jerry. You know, you hear all these stories and stuff. I don't know what to believe. Right. You know, probably they're all true. Right. But he's been nice to me. He calls me and goes, Drew, what are you working on? And I said, well, you know, I'll explain. He like he, I've drawn him a few times. Um, and, and, you know, he's just like, uh, he called in once. And he said, Drew, how do you do what you do? And I said, I can't explain that, Jerry. How do you do what you do? He said, "That's I. I can't explain. You know." So we.
0: <laughs> but I love because he, he,
3: you know, he has no ego around me. It's mm-hmm. like he doesn't talk about himself, and I, I only want to talk about him. You know, I love Jerry. Well, I think Lewis.
0: there's a childish sort of weird emotional thing to him. Like it seems to me like like no ego cuz you'd think like on some level he's got a tremendous ego and then on this other level when I hear people talk about him it's almost like he's like 12
3: is that I think you know he's got an, a tremendous ego but I think he he thinks about things like you know people think I have a large ego, ego. I got to come off like I don't have a large ego so you know he comes <laughs> off like <laughs> sometimes right. yeah. if you catch him on a good day it's like it's not there
0: What th- what other people that you've drawn of that generation specifically in in one of the or all of the three uh, Jewish, old Jewish comedian books, uh, did you build a relationship with?
3: <laughs> well, um, Jerry was one of the first guys who called, and what happened was uh, when the first book came out, they the Fanographic sent it out to come, some of the still living comedians. Yeah. So um, uh, when it came out, I got a call from Mickey Freeman, who was on the Bilko show. He since died. He was he loved. Drew, I loved the book, and uh, <laughs> Freddie Roman, who was the dean of the Friars, he's still around. Yeah, Freddie's around. His, sadly his son, Alan. The died. Horrible. He was a good. He became a good friend. We loved Alan. He's a nice guy. He was real sweet guy. That was so sad. Freddie yeah. stole around. I think he's a little. He's a little broken by that. Yeah. Um. But Freddie called. He loved it. And then the third call was left as a message. Drew called me back. It's Jerry Lewis. Uh, and he left his number f- twice. Yeah. So I said to Kathy, I said, Oh shit, yeah. Jerry's mad. I yeah. said, What did I do? I gave him that stupid expression. Yeah. Or I didn't put him on the cover. I put Milton Berle on the cover. Right. Was, I, that was the. Note. So I called him back. I got my nerve up and called yeah. him back. Hey Jerry, you got the book yes true i got the book so what'd you think He's, i loved it yeah jesus christ <laughs> what a book <laughs> so and then after that, we became friends. He invited us out yeah. to the second to the last telethon as uh-huh. uh, his guest. Kathy and I went out to Las Vegas to. The How same. was that? It, it was kind of surreal. I think we lasted fifteen minutes to watch watching the show, but right. it was mostly like watching B- Richard Belzer sit up there with Jerry's daughter and and the whole Lewis clan. And right, my, it was fascinating. That kind of stuff. Are
0: you friends with Bells?
3: <laughs> I've met him over the years. At, I don't know if I'm. No, I don't think I'm friends with him. But yeah, uh, um, he's a nice guy. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He is.
0: Is. But so that's the only guy that you really got to know. Well, Jerry?
3: I, actually, um, since then, you know, we became friends with Larry Storch. He's done some signings with us. He was at a thing we did. I hadn't. Is Jewish... he coming out tonight? No, I don't think he's. A, you know, he's he, he's not in the greatest shape. Well, he's in good shape, but he's in his nineties, so yeah. it's hard for him to travel. Right. Um. But we did a. I had a Jewish comedian show in New York uh, at the Society of Illustrators earlier in the year, where all the original art was shown, and the opening had uh, Joe Franklin showed up. And Paul Schaefer and 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 uh, and Gilbert Gottfried and Robert Klein and Larry Storch and Abe Vigoda was mm. the special guest. Yeah, you know, so people were like, and he sat there for an hour posing for photos. So it was, you know, everybody who passed on going to that opening like regret, still regretted. Uh-huh. That was the party of the century.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, who wrote the text for the new book, Heroes of the Comics?
3: I wrote all the text for that. Yeah, I, I knew know a lot of that stuff uh, over the years. Um, I kind of. From an early t- early age, I became obsessed with learning about those guys who drew who drew those comics and and wrote those comics. So I knew a lot of it, but I also like researched a lot, you know, uh, for the new book. Uh-huh. So it's all I didn't. Uh, it was suggested that I might bring in another writer, and but I said no. This has to be from 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 me, um, my feelings about them, and uh, most of the most of these guys I admire. Some of them I don't. Uh, it was suggested also that perhaps the cover the book should be called Heroes and Villains of the Comics. But I said no. I don't want to. I don't want it to be that specific. Let people. Fi- if there's some villains in the book, I'll let people figure that that out. For Are themselves. there? Well, there's a couple. of It's debatable. But the guy, this guy Bob Kane, who um, created Batman. Yeah. I'm, I'm putting "created" in quotes because um, it actually uh, was created by, written by a guy named Bill Finger, drawn by a guy named Jerry Robinson. Bob Kane did the early uh, uh, artwork. Yeah. Very crude um for the first piece and some of the early stuff but it was all like he had a whole staff but they never got credit right that was a lot of things with these guys most of them never got credit you know right. they did this work they were happy to have the work they weren't looking to make big a lot of money but they went uncredited a lot of them did so i'm giving them their you know their due i think a lot of you know just showing what they look like and presenting their life stories yeah but uh, some of the other villains might be um uh Frederick Wortham would be the main guy who was like the, he's the last image in the book and he's the guy who wrote Seduction of the Innocent which was the book about um, how comic books are uh, causing ju- ju- juvenile delinquency and that led to the Comics Code uh-huh. and, and comic books and EC Comics ending and, and some of the other and books.
0: was he a, ca- a cartoonist?
3: no he was actually a psycholo- psychologist with, a, with a, a lovely record of doing some great work he, he ap- operated at Harlem um, in the 20s and 30s, and then all of a sudden he became obsessed with, with how comic books were harmful for children and also changed, like, you know, uh, uh, changed a lot of the facts, like, uh, uh, changed a lot of his research where he, yeah. like, you know, would just, like, add things, like, just to make it make things seem more horrible than they were. And why'd
0: you include him in the
3: book? Well, you know, he's like, he was a hero because he had such a profound effect on comic books finally, like, shutting down EC Comics, shutting down Lev Gleason uh turning comic books bland if so he you know, in a way he could be a villain but to me he's a hero because he just uh spawns you it would be hard to do yeah it would be hard to do a book and not include him and also it's interesting about him is later in life as he was an old man he became obsessed with comic book fanzines and I even wrote a book about them hmm. it was sort of as a penance maybe mm-hmm. for what he did to comic book and then showed up at some of the conventions and got booed and never never appeared again which is interesting fascinating so the way
0: you spin it is that you know even though he he may have been misguided the the action that came from his research was to liberate cartoonists
3: well in a way yeah he kind of like you know i lose it as i said i lose interest in mainstream comics after what he was responsible for happened so on some level
0: he freed you guys
3: i think so and probably other people as well like i wasn't like looking to the mainstream for for that kind of stuff and then Robert Crumb came along a few years later.
0: And what now? What do you what do you use as source material? Because a lot of these guys are dead.
3: Well, it was, that was tricky because a lot of them, aside from being dead, I didn't want to annoy any relatives. Right. Like, I didn't seek out to like. Could you send me photographs of? Yeah, without in a couple, I made a couple of exceptions. Like Bill Gaines's daughter Wendy, who was like an old family friend. She sent me a couple of photos of her grandfather Max Gaines, who was Bill Gaines's father. Bill Gaines is the mad publisher. His dad Max was the guy who actually invented comic books in the early '30s. Like the first guy to figure out just staple a bunch of uh, newspaper comics into a one magazine, and that was a comic book that hadn't been done yet. That was the first one who figured that out. That was Max. Yeah, Max Gaines, and then later on he kind of. He was one of the guys uh, instrumental in Superman and, and, and realizing the potential for Superman and Wonder Woman and some of that stuff. Uh-huh. And then he started this company called EC, uh, Educational Comics. It was very, it just like limped along. It was bland. It was unappealing. It appealed to little children. Yeah. Tiny Todd Comics. He died in a, a boating accident huh. in 1947. He was in his early 50s. And the, son, and the company fell to the son, William. Who was training to be a science chemistry teacher, a chemistry teacher, a high school chemistry. Right. And he had no interest in comics, and all of a sudden it was like, a, like you know, sort of like Citizen Kane, where he, you know, he all of a sudden this company was his, and so, okay, let me let, let me make the best of it, and then it built up from there. He hired Al Feldstein, and little by little it built up
0: to Mad Magazine.
3: Well, it built up like where they would like introduce the horror stuff and the crime Right. and then he gave Harvey Kurtzman free reign to create Mad and they did these beautiful war comics, like realistic war comics for the first time. Uh-huh. And then Mad, and then and then it just ended like abruptly in 1955 and that was it. And just 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 Mad was left.
0: And Mad still exists, doesn't it? Yeah,
3: it still comes out. Yeah. Is it
0: and some of the guys are still around, right?
3: Uh only Al Jaffe. That's it. From the original. Now he's not he's not even one of the original guys, but only Al um, but Don Martin's old, dead. Jack, da- uh, Jack, yeah, uh, Jack Davis is retired. Yeah. Ward Drucker's retired. Yeah, they're still kicking. Um, Dave Berg, yeah, he died a few years ago. Uh. Uh, Paul Coker, you might remember him. Yeah, he's still around. He still does work for them. Uh-huh. Very few. It's mostly new guys. I do work occasionally for them, not too often. Um, and what
0: do you think about your contemporaries? Like the like, you know, I'm very impressed with that guy. What's his name? Charles Burns.
3: Oh, he's terrific. He's one of right. my favorites. I love Dan Close. Close is great. Yeah, Chris, Chris Ware. And, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I love yeah. his stuff.
0: And Bagg, are you friends with Peter?
3: Yeah, old friends with Peter Bagg. Yeah, I he's a nice there. guy. He is, he is. He's a terrific guy.
0: I liked his stuff, too.
3: I think uh, Mimi Pond's work is terrific. She has a new graphic novel out. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff. There's some stuff that's not so great, but I don't pay attention. There's so much of it. you got to pick and choose. But Fantagraphics, I think, publishes the best stuff. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm biased, but yeah. that's my feeling. You know, when they put it out, it's like there's usually something to it.
0: They're like good curators in a way. Yeah, it's the great old great stuff. Editors.
3: They bring back the old stuff and then introduce like the best of the new stuff, I and, think.
0: And now in terms of entertainment, I mean, you know, from do you do you still watch the Three Stooges?
3: Occasionally, I still appreciate them. Mostly on YouTube, I'll put it on. But, you know, I, like people think I'm obsessed. With Ed Wood and this stuff and that, but I'm more, more content with just to be with my wife and our beagle Darla, who yeah. we adopted a month ago from the, from the local shelter. She was unadoptable, but we adopted her. Um, but, but occasionally
0: you poke around, you like get,
3: yeah. I still mostly on YouTube and stuff or and on slowly, TV. But I still poke. Yeah, it still gets me. I still like you know. I'll have to watch it over and over. Like just the like last week, yeah. I watched Mo Howard like slapping Larry in the head. He was aiming for Shemp, but he slapped Larry. <laughs> First, I died with laughter, and then I just watched it compulsively over like 10 times. Just like, it's, it's like poetry. It's like ballet to me.
0: But, know? You know, I mean, I ballet
3: just, puts me to sleep, and, but I can watch that, you know, over and over. I watched like the, uh, the two versions of, <laughs>
0: Swole, what is it, slowly I Turned? Oh, with Sidney Fields? Uh, yeah, and then I watch Alvin Costello do it, too. Yeah, yeah.
3: Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Yeah. Well, then you have Joe Besser is Stinky. There's just nothing, you know, it's just sublime. And Joe Besser was not a great stooge, but he was a great stinky it's like you know like i said about curly he's like from another world yeah who comes up with stuff like that yeah it was his whole his
0: whole the way he his energy was bizarre
3: you're right and it's like we watch Abbott costola shows occasionally we have them on dvd and we but we said oh i hope this is a stinky you know you know that feeling. you don't know them all by now i do but you know that's the stuff i can watch over and over i never get sick of it you know and what what, (laughs) what do
0: you do for what do you enjoy in current culture you know that 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 like is entertaining
3: oh currents I don't know <laughs> you know I, I really do turn towards towards the past yeah I like Downton Abbey <laughs> yeah <laughs> I do I have to admit yeah <laughs> I do but that's I, like
0: the opposite of what you're talking exactly. about
3: whatever you don't expect is what, yeah but I like really go back to the past like I, you know we watch TCM we watch old movies basically that's it you know, yeah old TV shows you know Shout Factory I do work for them I did their Marx Brothers DVD recent. Their their old Marx Brothers when they got old. Oh, they put that out? Yeah, the Marx Brothers on TV, they did. Like uh from the 50s and 60s. Oh, I got to look you know? at their catalog. They I,
0: send me stuff occasionally. They send me a Richard Pryor box and they yeah. I think they did the Bob Newhart. They did, did the Mel Brooks box. Yeah, oh that's recently. right. That's right. They
3: just came out. Yeah, they came out with a complete Bilko. Yeah. Recently. Oh, they did? Yeah. Phil so Silvers.
0: Are you on the advisory board there?
3: No, but they, <laughs> they hire me to do covers for... I did the Ernie Kovacs cover for them. Yeah. Uh, for the uh, box collection. The recent Marx Brothers uh, on TV collection. And also um, when they re-released Melbrook... Uh, the Producers, I did the cover for that last year.
0: Now, so. do you think that because... Like, it's great that they're what is the market for that stuff do you have any idea I mean do you feel like that culturally we've lost something <laughs> by losing the context of these guys
3: I think there's a very limited market and I think they know that too but they put out stuff you know that they know is going to make you know sell like a million millions of copies but then they're they're also compulsive about this stuff and they'll put out something like ernie kovacs or old marx brothers you know and even if it sells like you know uh it doesn't matter I don't think like that's the way I feel I never say seek set out and say what's gonna really do well like you know I would never never have done books on old Jewish comedians. Right. If I was thinking like what's going to really sell sure. well this time sure. or even old comic book artists, you know, from the past. Well, but I, I love never, it. Th- never think along those lines. And you know, maybe that's maybe that's not so smart, but you know, that's I the only way I can operate.
0: But are you a person that thinks that that you know something is you know that things aren't as good as they used to be or we've lost something or no, no I don't
3: really buy into that yeah no it's like I think things are fine now you know <laughs> it's like, I don't buy <laughs> you know, I don't think that I right. think, I think so. they were great then and I think they're great now you know? yeah like, I have no complaints you know <laughs> I'm enjoying things now <laughs> no I don't look back and like oh if, if only you know there were yeah. horrible things where that are happened. the new three stooges <laughs> <laughs> horrible things that happened back then who wants to go back to that time yeah you yeah like, look, look what was happening down south and whatnot. And sure, like, you know, sure or, or to women or you know it's like not a great time but you know the, maybe the comedy but they were originals they were the guys who invented that stuff that's so right. now you get guys who are kind of like doing it like you know dumb and dumber yeah uh, sure part three is yeah like, you know the kind of like did you watch his three Stooges movie uh the
0: the Farrelly three Stooges movie I
3: watched I think I watched it only because my my pal Craig Berko is in it I yeah think that's the only reason I watched it uh I thought the guy the guy who did mo was good. Right, uh, and that's it. Uh, yeah. I didn't think much of it. You know? I, <laughs> yeah. I watched the one. Remember the one from TV from a few years ago? And mm-hmm. They did one a TV version again. Uh-huh. I think the guy who did Mo was good in that one. Too. Yeah,
0: Mo's the one to get. Yeah, if you're going to get the two one. guys,
3: they got got Mo, but the rest of the guys not so great. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's hard to do those. <laughs> but I things. love watching those, like you know, the, the 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 Bud and Lou movie with Buddy Hackett and Harvey Corman. It's uh-huh. fascinating how wrong they get it yeah. and how miscast those guys were. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see so that. I watch it just. Check that one. I don't know if it's available. But. It's got to be. And then the W.C. Fields and me with Rod Steiger. is just so awful. You know? Yeah. And Valerie was. Perrine, who yeah. I think gets naked in that. Yeah. I think it was in our contract back then. She had to be naked in, in any, any movie. I think if she was in Mary Poppins, she would yeah. have it she would She's be naked. She's naked in Lenny, too. Exactly. It's yeah. Even it was no reason for her to be naked. So yeah. I bring, my dad wrote Steam Bath, and yeah. that was on PBS in the early 70s with Bill Bixby. Yeah. And Valerie Perrine was, is naked in that, so- <laughs> No. I brought that up with Gilbert Gottfried re- recently. Yeah. So, you know, Steam Bath. he goes, oh, that's the one with Valerie Perrine. I said, I knew that was all you're going to remember from that. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> all right, man. Well, it was great talking to you. Great talking to you, Mark.
0: And uh, you know, I, I like all the books.
3: Oh, I appreciate it.
0: Love that guy, man. His brain is on fire. And you should definitely check out the books you should definitely check out the books if you're uh, if you're a comic book person by all means heroes of the comics is uh is is all is all drew he did the text as well great go to wtfpod.com check those tour dates uh dc is coming up first the first leg of the tour is coming up fast uh dc on the 9th philly on the 10th both those shows are sold out boston at the wilbur on the 11th i believe I think there might be some tickets for the second show in Boston. Definitely tickets for DC. That's a big ass room. But go to wtfpod.com/slash/calendar and uh, get the links to all the all the cities. Wherever you are, check it out. Get some justcoffee.coop over there. Get the WTF blend. I get a little on the back end. Uh.